You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here today. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. We are in a sermon series working our way through the book of Nehemiah. And uh, we've entitled this For the City. We've looked at some incredible things and, and applied them to our life from the life of Israel. And man, God's been blessing and doing some great things. And uh, man, if this is your first time here, if you are here with the GCA uh, chorus, man, thanks for coming today. I hope this has been an encouraging time for you thus far. Um, and if you are an FC partner and you are maybe just ready to connect tonight at 6 p.m., you're not going to want to miss Vision Night. We've got some great desserts and some coffee that we're going to serve and share some things, share some vision about future things that I, I, I really am excited about and I want to share. We haven't really talked about it up until this point. Uh, please go online, foothillschurch.com to register, and uh, we're going to have a great night and uh, excited about it. So as we dive into chapter 8 today, let me start by asking you, how many of you are like naturally, uh, your body just kind of wakes you up in the morning and so six, seven o'clock, you don't need an alarm clock, you're like Kramer, you got the biological thing working and just like, boom, you, you're you up. Anybody like that? Just got show of hands, see how many people? Not many, yeah, uh, there's a few of you that just kind of do that. And then there's another group of people in the room who, you know, you need not only one alarm, but you need two alarms. And you've done the whole set the alarm on the other side of the room deal. So when you wake up, you've got to actually get up. How many of you guys are, are the hard to waker upper type person? All right, a lot more of that group of people. And then we got some light sleepers in the room, right? They're the people that wake up at the slightest sound. You know, if you're a husband, you like blink and your wife is like, shh, you know, be quiet. You know, we've got, we got all kinds of different varieties here uh, as far as how we sleep. I, I remember when I was in student ministry, we used to do this funny video where we'd send students to other kids' houses and their parents would in on the joke and they'd take a video camera inside the room at like 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning. They'd flip the lights on, they'd have this huge air horn, and they'd be like, Hurr! It is hysterical to see how afraid and, you know, you know, just totally like clueless and waking up screaming these students were. And I know some of you are like, Trent, that is sick and demented. <laughs> yes, but it was funny. You got to admit, it was funny. And uh, I, I remember when I was, a, uh, my wife and I just got married and we went on our honeymoon. We came back from the honeymoon. So this is week two. And uh, we were watching TV on the couch and my wife fell asleep, and so I was like, oh, man, here's my opportunity to do, like, my husbandry, you know, Prince Charming deal. So I'm gonna just going to, like, scoop her up and take her to, to bed and lay her so that she can peacefully continue to dream about me, you know. And, um, and, and, and so here I go. I'm, I'm going down for the scoop, and as soon as I do, her face is right here, right? So as soon as I go to, 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 to pick her up, her face just, like, whew, she whips it around, Right? Her eyes pop open, bloodshot, scary, Freddy Krueger looking eyes. And she goes, ah! she jumps up. No lie. She jumps up. She raises her hand up like this. Like, I don't know if she was going to like conk me on the head or like if she was dreaming, she had a knife and she wanted to kill me. I was like, Lord Jesus, I married a crazy person, you know. And she actually starts walking towards me two or three steps until she finally wakes up. Jesus took the wheel at some point there. And I was like, what are you doing? She kind of came to herself and she goes, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, 
you're, 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 you're freaking out. You're like sleepwalking. And we died laughing and we just, we, we, that's been a story that we tell and we laugh about. I don't know if that was like a partial possession or, or what was happening there. We're still trying to figure that out. But I know this, I've never tried to wake her up again for the last 17 years. Not gonna, not gonna do it. And, and, and what's funny is when you wake people up who are asleep, they'll do some crazy things, right? They, you know, you can frighten them, you scare them. They do some weird things. Because when you're asleep, you don't really know you're asleep, do you? I mean, it's not like you're, you know, you're going to go home this afternoon on a rainy Sunday afternoon and take your nap, right? You've kind of got that scheduled on your to-do list today. And, and it's not like you go home on the couch, you're watching the game, you, you fall asleep. And then as you're sleeping, you're not like going, bro, this is a great nap. <laughs> I'm going to high-five somebody. This is a fantastic nap. You, know, you can't do that because, you know, you're, even though your brain is working subconsciously, like you, you, you're not thinking, Right? It's not until somebody comes and wakes you up that, or something or someone comes and wakes you up that you realize, oh, I've been asleep. That was a good nap, right? You know, the same can be true in, in some ways about our spiritual life. Like many of us today could be spiritually asleep. And we don't really know that we are spiritually asleep today until somebody wakes us up, until something wakes us up. And and maybe there are people in your life who are, who are warning you or trying to encourage you or trying to, you know, guide you in some ways. And they're trying to wake you up, so to speak. And, and you've kind of reacted like my wife. You kind of went Freddy Krueger on them or you got kind of, you know, scared or, or, or you kind of pushed back in whatever ways. Today, we're going to look at chapter 8 in the life of Nehemiah and the Israelites and see that they experience a spiritual awakening. And it's not something that you can make happen. It's not something that you can force. It's not something that, you know, you can, you can put on your calendar. It's a move of God's grace. But I do believe that there are a few ingredients that if we will apply those to our life and begin to work that process in and through our life, we'll position ourselves on the pathway to experience an awakening from God. And so as we dive into this, we want to see where we are weak, where we are potentially asleep, and, and we want to press into what God wants to do in our heart this morning. Let's go to chapter 8. We know from chapter 6, he actually built the wall. The wall's been accomplished, right? And now we dive into chapter 8 to see what, in fact, happens next. The greatest part of the story, I believe, verse 1, it says this, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So for, we don't, we don't know how many years it's been, but it's been many, many years that they have not even read the scripture publicly from what we can tell. And so remember, they, they, they were disarrayed, disorganized. They were worshiping other, other gods and idols and, and they, they were totally a mess and so now they bring the word of God and like, oh man, I remember this. I remember people talking about this. And, and then Ezra gets up, verse two. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, before the men and the women, and all who had to understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month, verse three. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. That is a long time, six or eight hours here. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, all the years of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now hop down to verse five. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it all, he opened it all, the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. Sorry about that. So as he is reading it, all the people stand up in like this, 
this attitude of reverence and respect. Verse 6, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. All the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces, listen, to the ground. Now hop down to to verse 7. At the end of verse 7, it said there's a group of men there and the Levites are there. And it says that they helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. Verse eight, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Now, again, we can't you know, make a spiritual awakening take place. But what we are seeing here is a spiritual movement of God to wake up his people from a spiritual slumber. And so if you're taking notes, the first ingredient I would say is necessary for an awakening to take place is a hunger for God's word. Look at verse three. It says, early in the morning till midday. This is six, seven, eight hours worth of standing and listening to the word of God read and explained to them. We see a hunger, a willingness to understand, a willingness to learn the words and the the will of God for their life. And, And it leads them to a spiritual awakening, this desire. You see, at this time, they didn't have individual copies of the Bible like we do in our homes. You know, they they had, you know, a few copies maybe, and only the priests read it. And so this was a unique opportunity for them to come and hear and understand the words of God. You know, you're never going to grow spiritually if you don't have a hunger for the word of God. If you don't have a desire to understand it and learn it and to apply it to your life, you're never going to mature. You're never going to take that next step of faith. You're never going to enjoy all the blessings that God wants to give to you if you don't have this hunger for God's word. In James chapter four, verse eight, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In other words, as, as, as I seek him, I will find him. And, and this is a powerful promise for us. I see, you know, and read and, and talk to people that, that help me kind of see that, man, there really is a growing um, lack of reverence for God's word in Christian churches in our country. Across various denominations, there's a diminishing of the word of God, a diminishing of its power, its lack of authority in our life. Many people say they believe it, but they have little idea of actually what it says. You know, we, we, we say in, in things like, man, I, I like this part, and, and we kind of we jump on board in these areas of Scripture that are easy to understand or that are, that are, you know, universally accepted across the world. And then some of these tougher passages and these things that are a little bit more difficult that, that aren't accepted by popular culture, we kind of avoid. Or, or we just kind of resist and, and, and we don't agree. And so we're just picking and choosing, in a sense, what we want to believe. And as a result, man, people are, are just forming their opinions about social issues based on how they feel and based on what's happening in our culture. And that's a huge, huge problem. See, the reality is that every opinion that you have, socially, politically, ethically, it all must be guided and informed by the gospel. We don't just formulate our opinion and then look to God's word to see how it lines up. No, we start in the word of God and that allows us to then have a gospel-centered understanding of whatever issue it is 
we're thinking about. And, and, and so we have to have a hunger and understanding of the word of God. If we're ever going to wake up spiritually, if we're going to remain strong and, and obedient to, to God's word and God's will in our life, we have to have this hunger and desire. And so I encourage you to open your Bible, bring it to church. And maybe you like the, 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 you have to have like the real book in your hands and the real pages, or maybe you're an app guy or girl and like you have, to, you know, you like to use the app, but whatever it is, use it faithfully, use it often, bring it, have a hunger for it, let it draw your attention, teach your kids to honor it, revere it, respect it. One of the sounds I love every Sunday morning is telling you to turn in your Bibles and then hearing the rustling of those pages. It's a beautiful sound or people's faces glowing because they're opening up their app to see the words of God. This is huge. It's, it's huge, not just for pastors and, and staff. It's huge that God's people, God's church have this hunger and desire for his word in their life. The second ingredient, component, is that we see in verse 8. Let's look at it. In verse 8, and, and actually right before verse 8, List this group of men and the Levites, and it says that they were helping the people understand the law. They were helping the people understand the words of God. Verse 8, then they read from the book. So, so these men are reading from the book as well, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So in other words, they gave the sense. In other words, they made sense of God's word. So they explained it so they could understand what it meant and how to apply it to their lives. And so what we're seeing here, and I would submit to you, that if we're gonna experience a spiritual awakening, we need more leaders willing to teach and explain God's word. Leaders who are willing to explain the word of God. Uh, scholars believe that there were anywhere from 30, 40, upwards of 50,000 people in this gathering. There's no way Ezra could explain it to everybody. There's no way one person in our church can, can take the, you know, the, 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 the sole responsibility to help everybody understand every verse. No, what we do is we gather, we teach the word of God, and then throughout the week we have small groups with small group leaders who are then unpacking even further and helping people understand it and grasp it. And, and, and that's what groups are all about. It's that kind of group, or maybe it's a discipleship group. They're all, all over, and, and they're diving into the Word of God to understand it and to begin to apply it to the life. But if we're going to be the kind of church that experiences the power of movement of God, it's going to require more leaders, more of you stepping forward to explain and teach the Word of God. It's going to require that. We have to experience that. And when we do, when we begin to, to teach this, we have multiple, multiple leaders, layers upon layers of this explanation and teaching of God's word. Here, here are some of the results. We see here uh, that people begin to pray. They, they have their heads bowed to the ground in verse six. They're worshiping God in, in, in prayer as they, as they honor him. And it's almost like they, they're grasping this awe of God that they had lost. You know, I see this all the time. It's happened to me in my life where we, we lose uh, this awe of who God is. This awe of his power and his majesty. This awe, this creator, this, this God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Not so I could just go to heaven, but because he has a plan and a purpose for my life. And as we embrace that plan, as we walk by faith with this God, man, we experience incredible blessings and joy upon our life. They, they pray when they understand the words of God. 
Second thing they do when they have the word of God explained to them is there's a genuine remorse over their sin. In verse seven, or verse nine, it says that the people wept out loud. So they are, they're reading the words of God. And what they're doing is they're noticing that they are not honoring God with their life. Their sin is being revealed to them and it makes them extremely upset. So they begin crying. They, 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 they begin to pour themselves out in and, and sadness. And man, we've got to get back to that. We've, we've got to experience genuine remorse over our sin in repentance. And, and, and here's the reality. You're never going to experience a breakthrough in your life until you first experience a breakdown. Some of you are so afraid of the breakdown. You're, you're afraid for, for your, your pride to get broken. You're, you're afraid to, to, you know, to kind of break down your, your, your pride and, 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 and you're more worried about your, you know, your ego. You're more worried about you know, your finances and, 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 and your image more so than what God wants to do in your life. And it requires us to break our pride down and say, God, I have sinned and, and we repent of that sin. And it simply means to, to repent of sin is, is, just, is just this. It's agreeing with God that what you are doing is wrong the behavior, the attitude, whatever it is in your life, you're agreeing with God that what you're doing is wrong and you commit to walk his way. You commit to live your life according to his plan instead of your plan. That's all it is. And it's, this, it's not just a one and done deal. It's a posture. It's an attitude. It's a lifestyle of continuing to go to God, burdened over your sin and confessing that sin. And it's like, you know what, God, here I am again. I'm asking for your forgiveness God, I'm, 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 I'm remorseful of this sin. And you're thinking, it's the same thing that I've been talking to you about for years, God, but I'm laying it down before you. Again, it's this attitude of, of being remorseful over our sin. You remember the story of the prodigal son? He gets his inheritance you know, from his dad. He gets all this money and then he goes away and he, he wastes all of his money wildly. you know. And then he, he comes back to his father after he runs out of money and um, the father forgives him and he throws a big party for him. Remember that whole story? I think we all love that story. We all kind of resonate with the prodigal son in some ways. And, 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 and we all love the idea of a big party being thrown for the sinner. We all want a big party for ourselves. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be forgiven. We all want to be liked. And, 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 and we wanted that acceptance from God, from our, our own fathers. And, 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 and the reality is we've got to realize the story here. Like before we can get the party, we've got to lay in the pig slop. We've got to experience that breakdown where we realize that we're not in control. Where we realize that it's not about us. And it's when we're laying in the pig stop where we come to our senses. That's what the scripture says in that story. It says the prodigal son, he came to his senses. Very, very similar phrase here in verse 8 when it says they gave the sense. In other words, he made sense of what his life was, where his life was and, and, and what the Lord wanted to do in his life. And, and so this sense happens and, and, and it's almost like he's laying there and he's like, man, what am I doing with my life? What, 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 am, I, what am I going through here? What? What have I done? I thought I was going to have fun. I thought this was going to be exciting, and here I am. This is terrible. And so he comes to his senses, and he goes to the Father. And before the party happens, you remember what he said? He said, Father, his, his, first of all, his dad runs to him. I love that, that part. Of the story. His dad runs to him before he even said anything. And when his dad came face to face, the son said, Father, I have sinned. There was a genuine remorse over his sin. 
And it was after that remorse, the father then throws the party, puts the ring on, gives him the robe, and throws this huge party for him. See, we've got to be willing to confess sin. We've got to be willing to own up. If you're blaming somebody for your problems, if you're constantly pointing the fingers, or you're not looking at your own life, at your own sin, there's issues. We've got to understand this from the word of God, that, that the people here are weeping. They're, they're understanding their shortcomings, and so must we. And in verse 6, they are lifting up their hands. They're worshiping God because worship is an expression. It's a, it's a response to who God is. That's why there's movement in worship. That's why when we, when we're, you know, we, we, we play a song, we are singing with our voice. I know some of the men in the room are like, bro, I don't sing. I sing terrible. They're like, we know you sing terrible. That's why we raise the volume so loud. You didn't know that. That's why. So I can't even hear myself sing. But, but the reality is when we are worshiping God, there is a response, right? So my voice is singing. You might raise your hands. This is a response of surrender to God. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an attitude that I, not only am I singing these words, but I am embracing these words. This is, this is my response to God. And so we might pray. We might be, you know, kneeling on our knee. We might put our face down. They're saying, amen, amen. You know, because there's a response to God in worship. What's your response look like to God? Is there any movement towards God? Is there any response to his grace in your life? And I know some of you are like, yeah, I came to church, and so that was a big deal, especially today because it was raining, it was dark, you know. The reality is there's got to be movement. There's got to be voice. There's got to be action. There's got to be a response to who he is, or there is no worship in your life. It's very scary to, to, to think about here. What's interesting about all of this is that the wall's been built, all these things are happening, and all throughout this event, there's not been one word about the wall. Nothing at this point. Hey, you would think, man, the wall is built. High five. Let's, let's celebrate the fact that we have a wall. But that's not what happens. That's not what we see in the test, in the text here. What we're seeing is that the greatest thing that they are experiencing is now their attention has shifted from the vision of building a wall to actually the author of the vision. Does that make sense? The vision is go build the wall. We got to build the wall. Come on, everybody. We got to work hard. We got to sacrifice. Sambalat, Tobiah, they're coming. We got to be ready to fight against them. So all this action and activity is happening. We got to build the wall, build the wall, build the wall. And then they build it. And it's like they experience an awakening. And they're not saying anything about the wall. Because the reality is in your life, this is true. In my life, this is true. And for the Israelites, this is true. God is not after this, you know, wall building ceremony, this auditorium ceremony. He's not about you reaching the top of the mountain and accomplishing X, Y, or Z. What, he's, what he wants and what he desires in my life and in your life is the journey through that process so that we don't get to the end of that and say, woohoo, the wall. Oh, we worship you wall. You're an amazing wall. Or an auditorium. God, oh, we praise the auditorium and we thank the, the chairs for being so comfortable. We can take a nap now when Trent preaches. No, it's not, we're not worshiping the object. We have a vision to have a godly family. And so, you know, whatever that moment hits you, like your wife loves the Lord, you love the Lord, your kids are, 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 are serving the Lord, and you've, you've done it. You've raised a godly family. It's not at that point you go, I worship you, family. You are amazing, family. No, you look to God with that sense of awe, 
recognizing that, holy cow, like you, God, you did something great. You're the, you're the author of this vision, and it's not about getting to the pinnacle of that moment. It's about the process and the journey from start to whenever he calls us to be home with him. The wall is what paved the way for God's ultimate purpose to be fulfilled in their life. The wall was the pathway for the ultimate purpose. What's the ultimate purpose? For them, it was worship of God because they were far from God, disobedient to God. They were in disarray. The wall brings structure, gives focus. They hear the word of God. They they start doing it. And as a result, worship of the one true God. That is the purpose. The vision for us, and at least on this next step, is to build an auditorium to create space for the people in our community who are far from God. But the ultimate purpose is that those who are far from God would bring their worship to our God, right? That's what we're doing. That's that's the ultimate thing God's doing. That's the ultimate thing he wants to do in me and in you. Let's look at verse 13 and following. So you would think after, you know, a long day of hearing the word of God, being taught the word of God, they'd be ready to sleep in the next day. (laughs) It's not what happens. Look at verse 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. Verse 14, and they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seven month. So what's happening here is they're coming across scripture that is being read, and then they come across this festival that they are called to observe every year, the festival of booths. And they're like, what is this? What it was was God commanded the people that after the Exodus, remember they were in slavery in um, under Egypt, and, and they, they leave, and then they're in the desert, they're wandering around. But during that time, God provided for them, you know, the water, the food, the shelter that they needed. And so once they entered the promised land after many, many, many years, God says, here's a celebration that I want you to remember and enjoy <clears throat> every year. It's called the Festival of Booths. So go get some sticks, build a little shack, a little booth, so to speak, and, and remember that this is how God protected you. And so they ate a lot of food, they, they celebrated, they worshiped for that, for that week. And people here under Nehemiah, like, we're not doing that anymore. It'd be like us forgetting about communion, you know, and like 100 years go by and we're like, oh man, we're not doing communion anymore. What happened? Oh, we got to do it again. And that's kind of what they're recognizing here. God called them to remember something and they had not. And so what they do is they, they obey. They start doing exactly what the scripture commanded them. And so this brings us to the third point. The third point of, of, the, of, of the sermon today is, is obedience to live God's word. Obedience to live God's word. Because if we truly want to experience a spiritual awakening in our life and in our church and our community, we got to have a hunger for God. We got to teach the word of God. Not just me, more leaders teaching the word of God. And then finally, we actually have to obey it. We've got to do what he asked us to do. And we see the people doing this very same thing. So again, we can't, can't make this happen. We can't, can't force this. This is a movement of God's grace in their life. And it happens in our life through God's grace. But there are some things that if we will be faithful to each and every day, 
And that's the posture of our life. Like, like we're committed to the word of God and we have a hunger for it. We want to learn and grow from it. We're, we're willing to get involved in teaching it. You know, I, I may not be ready yet, but I'm on that pathway to get myself ready. Or, or at least I'm in a group where, where somebody is teaching me. And so I'm on that journey. And then finally, I'm obeying it. I'm not just, I'm not just learning it to learn it. I'm actually doing it. If that's, the, if, that's the, if that's the rhythm of our life, then I promise you from God's word, we can expect a movement of God like we've never seen. I remember growing up in my church, um, from time to time, we would experience like these really like movements of God. And that's really the only way you can describe it. Many, many people would come to know Christ, baptize a lot of people, and, and, and there'd be seasons where just hundreds of people would just start coming to church, and you're just like, where did all these people come from? And, and all these things are happening, and, and uh, I guess like nothing we can do. And I, I remember when I first went into ministry, you know, I was like, yeah, I really want God to, to use me in that. That was just a desire and a prayer for me. God, you decrease me, increase you. I want to see lives transformed, because that has always excited me and, and wakes me up in the morning. Numbers don't but life transformation does. And so, so I, I, I was I, I praying about that and thinking about that and, and really years went by and, and it was really the first time that like on a big scale, I really felt a special just kind of season was um, the, the last summer camp I did um, at my last church as a student pastor. We went to the beach and man, I went up and I was teaching and um, every day teaching the word of God and same thing I had taught a hundred times. You know, same, same scriptures, same stories. And that first night, you know, five or six kids uh, come forward, accept Christ, want to be baptized. Night two, eight or nine, ten, came forward. Night three, same thing. By the end of it, there were almost 40 kids that said yes to Jesus and wanted to follow him in baptism. I remember being in the ocean. It was the first time I had ever baptized in the ocean. The waves were coming in and I was going to, you know, dunk kids and we were falling down. It was, it was bad. It was a hard experience, right, to learn how to do that on the fly. But I remember just kind of thinking about it as it was happening and thinking, you know what? This is totally God. This is, this is the same thing I've been saying. Why in that moment was it resonating? Why in that season did students finally a light bulb clicked on? Why was it? God. I remember it was August 2012. We were on the other side of this building. This building still had the bowling alley. I believe there's like 300 people coming to church at that time. And and I was preaching through the book of Romans and and, uh, we were just going verse by verse. And we got to Romans chapter six, where it talks about uh, baptism and what that means and and what uh, salvation looks like. And so just teaching that at the end, I just just opened up and and I said, if you'd like to receive Christ, come forward. And I said, if you want, we'll even baptize you today. And it was the first time we'd ever done anything like that. And that day, at the end of the day, there were 25 people that came forward. I was like, man, it's almost half the people coming here. This is, what is that? I've been teaching through Romans for weeks. We've already talked about this. Why today? Grace of God. Remember Easter on the field a few years ago. We were on Maryville football field and, and uh, we went, went to the field and um, had a big setup, projectors didn't work. Remember that? <laughs> We're singing songs, projectors not working. They put my table out there where I set my Bible and stuff. And, and, and in the move, one of the legs had come untwisted. And so the whole time I'm preaching and the, the table's cockeyed like that, super distracting if you ever noticed that. But preaching the same gospel I'd preached you know, many times before, 
But on that day, 74 people came forward professing Christ, wanted to get baptized. Incredible, incredible day. How'd that happen? It's God, movement of God. Christmas last year, same thing, same gospel. You guys invited your friends, you invited family members, present the gospel. 25 people that day came forward. Last Easter at Clayton uh, Center, same thing, big day, bring your friends, invite your friends. It's like, here's the gospel, same stories. 52 people came forward that day, professing Christ, I wanna be baptized. It's in those moments that our church like expands and grows and all these new people come in and you're like, where all these new people come from? I don't know, this is God. It's the only explanation we have, right? It's not me. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the same stuff week in and week out. It kind of, you know, let's be honest. But it's what God does with it, right? It's because he's here. The atmosphere is different. The Spirit of God is moving amongst his people. My encouragement for you today is to realize and recognize this. If you haven't heard anything else, hear this. This is the bottom line. You ready? It's not about fulfilling your vision. It's about God fulfilling his vision in you. It's not about you fulfilling your vision. I wanna have this great family. I wanna have this great business. I wanna get to this status. I wanna be a part of a church or whatever. It's not about your vision. It's not about my vision. It's about God fulfilling his vision in you. And so that's why I say, it's not when we get what we've always wanted or hoped for that we finally sit back and say, we've made it and we worship whatever it is that we have accomplished. No, it's the journey, it's the process. It's what God wants to do in your heart. It's what God wants to do in your life. And when you get to the end of that, when you begin to see him moving around you, you go, he's the one. He, he, he really is doing it. He, he really is the author of life. He really is changing people. He really is here. He's real. I know you walk into the room today and some of you, maybe for the first time or for a long time, it's like, man, man, I, I know I'm missing something. I know there's gotta be more. I know there's this, there's this something in me that's just kind of beating that, that I want more. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's the Holy Spirit of God in your heart. And he's created this vacuum, this huge hole in your life. And it will never, ever be filled by anything you accomplish in this life. It will only and can only be fulfilled by Jesus Christ himself. And my prayer for you today and every day is that we would recognize where we're asleep. Because when you sleep through the work of God, <laughs> you miss all the fun. You miss the celebration. You, 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 you miss the worship. You miss the blessing. I don't want you to sleep through it. I don't want you to miss it. And I know that if you're involved and together we're working, together we're serving, we're gonna be able to do so much more for God's kingdom. So I don't know, maybe today you're willing to pray a very dangerous prayer. Would you be willing to do that? It's dangerous. It's not for everybody. But if some of you begin this prayer and you make it your prayer and, and this is kind of your heartbeat, 
I believe God will answer it. Let me ask you to bow your heads and here's the prayer, ready? It's very simple. Remember last week, one sentence prayers are pretty powerful. Say, God, wake me up. I mean it, say, God, just wake me up. Wake me up where I am spiritually asleep. Help me to experience you, God. Give me a hunger for your word, God. Give me a hunger for your word. I'm far from it. Help me to understand it. When I read it, God, help me to understand it. Apply it to my life. God, help me to be obedient. That's a scary one. God, help us to be obedient to your word today. We already know in so many ways what we should be doing. But it's just a matter of being faithful, taking that step. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to ask God for that? Be willing to actually act upon it. Father, we experience you in this moment. God, we want more of you. God, as we, as we hear your word today, we see a great model for what a spiritual awakening looks like. And so, Father, we're asking that you would wake us up. Give us the sense. Help us to make sense of our life. Help us to make sense of your truth. Apply it in our life that we might walk in obedience. And we know, God, that there's joy in obedience. There's joy in holiness. God, break the attitude that, that says following you is just no fun or just a bunch of rules. Break that in our spirit, God, today. I'm asking that the spirit would change our heart and mind toward the things of God and help us to draw close to you today and throughout the rest of this series and into the new year. We pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.